Welcome to the Liberty, Leadership, and Lies podcast. I'm your host, Larry Linton, and on this podcast, we'll be talking about, yep, you guessed it, liberty, leadership, and lies. More importantly, how the liberty, leadership, and the lies apply to our government at the federal and state levels. So stand by as we kick off this episode. Episode 5, Liberty. What happened to it? Welcome back to another episode of the Liberty, Leadership, and Lies podcast. I'm your host, Larry Linton. I'd like to ask the audience, go ahead and visit the website of libertyleadershipandlies.com and sign up for notifications. Liberty, Leadership, and Lies is all one word with no punctuation, no spacing. If you sign up for notifications, you will receive the updates I provide to a blog that I'm keeping there. Then I'll frequently update with my thoughts and possibly some recent legislation that's being considered or action by the media or talking heads or the new aristocracy that try to infringe upon our liberties. You can also contact me through the website or by sending an email to Larry at LibertyLeadershipAndLies.com. Thank you to all the returning listeners and welcome to any new listeners. Also, for the first-time listeners, if you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please share it with all your family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors. On this podcast episode, we're back on the topic of liberty, and that's going to be the pattern of this podcast. We'll do an episode on liberty, then an episode on leadership, then we'll do an episode on lies, and then we'll just keep repeating it in that rhythm. For future episodes on leadership, I've asked some former shipmates of mine from my time on active duty to be guests on those shows. They have agreed and I cannot wait to get them on so you can hear them too. These people that have already agreed, I consider them to be inspirational leaders. Hopefully they can inspire those in the audience to seek out positions of leadership, not only in their homes or their communities or their states or even the federal government. Like me, they are students of leadership and we hope to create more of those. By the way, though, I don't want to convey the idea that you have to be a veteran to truly understand leadership. But being a veteran does, in my opinion, give one a better understanding or appreciation for our Constitution. Unlike politicians, those people that I call the new aristocracy, service members actually live up to their oaths to protect and defend the Constitution. There are potential life or death consequences to our oaths, Unlike the Polish aristocracy, they only give lip service to the Constitution and the oath they swore to protect and defend it. Again, though, these former shipmates are phenomenal leaders that I have served with or for during my time in the Navy. Now, on to the topic of liberty. I often wonder what was the point in our great republic's history when we started this steep decline in trading our liberty for safety, our liberty for security. Benjamin Franklin captured it perfectly when he said those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. I also wonder where are the people today that think about liberty like our founding fathers did. I know that I can't be alone in this, but just how many of us are out there? People like the patriot Nathan Hale, who said during the birth of our nation in its fight for liberty, 
I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Is there anybody out there like that? You know, he was executed after being captured during an intelligence gathering mission in 1776. So, in other words, he was spying for the American people. Now, we have a government that spies against its own citizens, violating our Fourth Amendment rights every day. Is that when the decline or voter apathy began? When we realize that we are powerless to stop our own government from spying on us? We actually aren't powerless, but we're made to feel that way. Well, it probably wasn't then, because spying on us has been going on much longer than the Patriot Act has been signed into law. But that's another story for a different episode. But Nathan Hale, he died to ensure that you and I would be guaranteed freedom from an oppressive regime. Right now, we don't have a foreign government trying to go to war with us in the attempt to put us into bondage and deprive us of our liberty. But rest assured, they are out there plotting on how to do it. They really don't need to start a war to accomplish this either. Our own government is doing such a bang-up job of putting us into debt bondage and depriving us of our liberty on its own at this point in time. All they have to do is sit back and watch it happen and then probably swoop in to pick up what's left of us. So where are our freedom fighters today? Where is our Samuel Adams who said that the liberties of our country, the freedom of our civil constitution are worth defending against all hazards? And it is our duty to defend them against all attacks. Especially when the attacks against our Constitution, our liberty, are coming from the very people we elected to ensure that our government protects our God-given rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. On to the right of life. That is being so regularly attacked in our country today by many different segments of our society. Heck, even our own government wants our sweat equity via our tax dollars, that's our liberty, to pay for it under the guise of reproductive rights. Gets me thinking about Roe v. Wade. Is this the point in our nation's history where we became apathetic voters? When we realized that our government, all three branches of it, determined that the right to life is only for when somebody considers it convenient? I'm not sure. And then when we talk about reproductive rights, I'm sorry, but abortion, which ends a life, is actually counter-reproductive. Because reproductive means you're reproducing life, not ending it. But the media and the new aristocracy have to frame the narrative, right? They assign terms, those artful lies, to get more people to buy into something that it actually isn't. Remember on the last episode, we talked about these artful lies that are assigned to legislation. Well, it works with more than just legislation. It is also applied to talking points these people get from market research to get people more comfortable with dealing with their conscience. At a recent message that my pastor gave in my church, he said, when our conscience is untethered from the word of God, we become double-minded. We become dull-minded, apathetic. We become jaded. We resist the temptation to stand on truth. And when we do that, we start to stand in opposition 
to the truth. And the truth is, life is precious. Have we become so jaded that the ending of the life of an unborn child is treated like a real estate transaction? I'm sure everybody has heard the three things that matter the most in real estate is location, location, location. My body, my choice is the rallying cry, right? Except there are two bodies involved here. Two distinct lives with their own separate DNA. It is only the location of the unborn child that causes the problem for the person wanting to end its life. How about the fact that in this country we have many different classifications for murder in the various states and districts all over the country? Here in Tennessee, you could serve anywhere between 15 to 60 years for what they call second-degree murder. I always thought it was weird that you could assign different degrees to the types of murder. But maybe that's just a legal question, but murder's murder. But if you assign different degrees to it and call it different things, like manslaughter or murder, it makes some of it more palatable, right? So for the taking of another human being, the perpetrator, the criminal, could serve as few as 15 years in prison. What kind of value of human life does that demonstrate? That the victim's life is only worth 15 years of confinement for the criminal that took the life? 15 years, that's what some of us are worth in the eyes of the government. Usually it's not even the full 15 years or however many years the perpetrator is sentenced to either. Early parole for good behavior or some other such nonsense. And when doing my research, I found that in other states, it could be as few as three years. The value of life, the most precious of God-given rights, has been reduced to as few as three years of another person's life in confinement? Or the location of a life bears no penal or judicial consequences at all. In fact, the government wants you and I to pay for it. The only consequence to the person ending the other life could be future feelings of guilt or depression. But that's much later on. It's about the convenience of now. We have become a callous people when it comes to life. I believe that life, which is our most precious right, should be treated with much more reverence. Don't you? And instead of screaming at each other that only certain lives matter, why can't we all rally behind the fact that every life matters? When we start putting ourselves into camps where we say or declare that only a certain type of person's life matters, are we trying to say they matter more than every other type of person's life? That may not be the intent of these groups that spring up everywhere, but it begins that perception. And for our culture today, perception is their reality. What we see on the news or on social media directs our worldview. Very few people are interested in gathering all of the facts. We rush to judgment, especially if the trending judgment is given as a hashtag on numerous internet videos or TikTok videos, and they tell us what to think about it. So that got me thinking too. Was it the invention of the television or the internet? That was the beginning of our apathetic electorate? I'm not sure, but I know that it has played a large role in it. Heck, right now, you're not even allowed to question the legitimacy of medical treatments or election results without getting yourself banned from that social media platform, the new public square. You can only say or think 
certain things in this new public square. Or you even have agents of the federal government question you about your actions on a certain day in a certain location if the media is pushing it as an insurrection or sedition, an armed rebellion against the government. Oh, get this. Did you know that one of the new aristocracy in Washington, D.C., those political people, they have even proposed law that will strip any veteran that was in D.C. on January 6th of this year of all of their veteran benefits. They want to punish people for exercising their First Amendment rights, for questioning, just merely questioning the narrative that they have put out there. Thought crimes. We're on the way to that. Not everybody that was in D.C. broke into the Capitol building either. Some of them were invited by the law enforcement there to protect it. And you can't tell me that isn't true. We've all seen it, or if you bother to investigate it, on video. There is video evidence of police officers directing traffic inside the building. But most Americans are mindlessly following and supporting the biggest trending hashtag or slogan out there. They will say this is not who we are as Americans. Do they not study history? Do they not know that the founding of our government was based upon rebellion? That we were trying to throw off the yoke of an oppressive regime? They were telling us how to think, how to behave, what we could own, where we could sleep. So all of this just starts the ball rolling where we divide ourselves into camps. We draw battle lines with and against our fellow Americans. And of course, this is fueled by the media and the new aristocracy. So it brings the recent killings in Atlanta to mind. We were being fed the line that it's a hate crime based upon the ethnicity of the victims. But never mind that the victims were of different ethnic backgrounds. Widespread cries of victimhood by certain groups and certain people and certain politicians are popping up all over the country. All of which are amplified by the media and the new aristocracy. You know, I couldn't find a channel on the television or any news program that was not highlighting this in every corner of our country. How people were out there decrying the violence against one particular ethnic group. Again, there was more than one particular ethnic group that was killed. But of course, there isn't even a reporter out there that would ask the people attending these demonstrations, these vigils, what about the other people of Caucasian ethnicity that were killed or wounded? Nope, not one of them with any bit of journalistic integrity or curiosity. Why? Well, it's because there's an agenda. That's why. Or fear of the rage mob, the woke crowd, going after the reporter for showing care about all of the victims instead of showing care for just some of the special protected class victims. Hate crime. That term's always assigned to a situation like this. When the words hate crime are used, it gets more airtime on the TV or clicks on the internet and ink in print publications. Never mind that the perpetrator, the criminal here, stated a completely different motivation for his actions. We can't take the actual criminal at his words. Of course not. 
especially if it runs counter to the agenda the media and new aristocracy want to push on an ever-mindless society. We must assign some other reason to his actions to spin this agenda. Let me ask you this question. Which of these two phrases or which of these two situations will get the most attention? The fact that the perpetrator was mentally ill or that he targeted a specific ethnic group. You all know or have been witness to the correct answer to those questions. We have become so callous to the taking of human life that there must be a new category of it to grab our attention. Hence, hate crimes. And also, victimhood is rapidly becoming the highest commodity to have in our woke culture right now. If you can position yourself as a victim of something, or by claiming to support other victims of whatever is trending, you have attained special status. Now you get to go do a TikTok video on how you support the victims, or how you are a victim. Once that's out there, instant fame awaits you. You're a new hero of the woke culture. I hope you can see how these horrible acts are being framed by the media. Of all the people I listen to, quite often, he captures the media today perfectly. He routinely states, and which you will find to be true if everybody actually researched it, that the media, they will tell you a story, not the story. What story they will tell you will either be the trending item or they will want to start a new trending item. They create the narrative of victimhood that the lemmings in our society will blindly follow. Our apathetic electorate will believe most anything that will grab their attention for five minutes. Here's the bottom line, though. One man made the determination for which lives matter nearly 2,000 years ago. The Son of God demonstrated that all lives matter. He sacrificed himself on the cross for all of us. He sacrificed his earthly life so that we could all have eternal life. If our Creator did that for us, why can't we do it for each other? When did we become so callous to the cause or the right of human life? Do the starting points of callousness to human life in our culture and our voter apathy have any commonality? Are they close together in time? I'm not sure, but I bet you it would be something interesting to research. And these questions come to me nearly every day when I see or hear about the depravity on the news. The apathy, the callousness to human life, the lack of involvement in the electorate to demand real solutions to this. Then there is the fact that we often want to lay the blame at something other than the actual perpetrator of these horrible crimes. They'll say socioeconomic status of the criminal or the instrument the criminal uses or the treatment of the criminal by others. Those are the root causes for the crime. Poverty caused the person to take another's life. If that is the case, then only people in poverty must be the ones that are killing people, right? Well, we definitely know that isn't the case. Murder or manslaughter or hate crime or whatever you want to call it is not confined to any socioeconomic sector. 
wealthy, middle class, and poor people alike kill other human beings. So what's the common denominator? The human being. Or they'll say our gun culture in the United States caused it. Our nation's fascination with owning guns. If that's the case, then only people with guns kill other people. Where's the logic behind that? Again, there actually isn't any. Market research by the media and the new aristocracy guide the talking points. By an estimate conducted by Pew and Harvard, there are approximately 72 million people in the United States of America that own some type of firearm. Yet, our news isn't dominated by 72 million people going around killing other human beings, is it? If that's the case, our population wouldn't last too long. So again here, what is the common denominator? A human being. Never mind the fact that firearms are not the sole instrument used in taking of another human being's life. Knives, hammers, baseball bats, automobiles, all of them. In fact, the third leading cause of death in our country right now is medical malpractice. And that only falls behind heart disease and cancer. But the way the politicians, the new aristocracy, and the media want to portray it, one would believe that criminal death by a firearm is the leading cause. The causes, our fellow human beings, have become callous to life. And because that happens, it has given our government the predicate, or the beginning reason, to step in and institute controls on our liberty to try and protect life. Well, that's what they tell us anyway. Out of one side of the government's mouth, they will tell you that a new restriction on liberty is necessary to protect life. But out of the other side of their mouths, they will call abortion, women's health, or reproductive rights. Both factors end up in the loss of a human life. So now they're going to pass legislation calling certain crimes hate crimes. So in other words, they're trying to legislate thought. And the hate crime gets special notoriety in the media and press conferences. Never mind the fact that taking another person's life, whatever the ethnicity of the victim or perpetrator, involves either hate or callousness. But by this new logic, if both the victim or perpetrator belong to the same ethnic group, it's somehow a lesser crime? It's not elevated to the level of hate crime? Murder is murder, regardless of race. I would like to pause now for a word from a supporter of this podcast. For all my listeners that live in the Hampton Roads area of Virginia, I want to give a huge shout out to one of my all-time favorite car mechanics and longtime good friend, Glenn Moser. He is a supporter of this podcast and the owner-operator of Professional Auto, located at 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha, in Virginia Beach. Phone number is 757-962-0102. Not only is Glenn an extremely talented mechanic, but he is also a great American and a staunch supporter of our constitutional rights. My family and I relied on Glenn and Professional Auto for all of our vehicle needs when we lived in the Hampton Roads, Virginia area. Quality work at a fair price and service with a smile are what you will receive when you take your vehicle to Professional Auto. I encourage all my listeners there in the Hampton Rose area to look them up if your car needs work. Again, that is Professional Auto, 5900 Thurston Avenue, Suite Alpha in Virginia Beach, Virginia, 
and the phone number is 757-962-0102. So back into Liberty. So now, because certain events like this happen, our new aristocracy, they want to pass legislation that will involve taking some of our liberty away from us. I would encourage all the listeners to look at how many bills there are in Congress right now that will limit or restrict legal gun ownership by law-abiding citizens in our country. I'll go over a couple right now that are being considered. There is H.R. 8, titled Bipartisan Background Check Act of 2021. you got to throw that bipartisan in there. It means everybody supports it. And this bill is so overbroad in nature, it would criminalize many transfers of firearms that take place now between people. And they do it for hunting, recreational shooting, or even self-defense. Our government wants to make it a crime to simply hand a firearm to another person. In order to avoid being criminally prosecuted, if I was to give this a firearm to a friend that needed it for self-protection, I would have to involve a third party to that transaction so that myself and the person I'm handing the firearm over to, we can be given a background check just to make sure we're doing it legal or that we're both not wanted criminals. And disregard the fact that in a 2019 study by some researchers that are part of an anti-gun crowd found that the expanded background checks in California did not reduce gun homicides or suicides. So why is all this extra work demanded by the government? Well, it's to make ownership or possession of a firearm much too cumbersome to try to even engage in because only law-abiding citizens will do it the legal way anyway. You only have to look at some of the states and cities in our country that have enacted legislation that severely restricts legal gun ownership to see how their gun control measures work. Yep, those criminals are just finding it so difficult to obtain a firearm that they just don't do it. You've got to be kidding me. Yet here we are in the age of social media, politicians, and victimhood, that most of this country is buying into the dangerous lie of sacrificing their freedom for a little bit of temporary safety. Another bill is H.R. 1446, entitled Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2021. This is again another attempt by the gun control crowd to restrict the rights of law-abiding citizens to obtain firearms, especially for self-defense. This act would ultimately lead to a national firearm registry. Then our government would know exactly where all the firearms are in this country and who owns them. Also, don't forget to look at the titles of the legislation, then actually read it. These are those artful lies at work, naming the legislation or titling it something to make you feel good about what they're trying to sell you. Our government wants to institute more controls and restrictions on a Second Amendment right than they do to anything with regard to voting or legal immigration in this country. Ask yourselves why. There is always a why. But like the media and their reporting on stories, the government sometimes gives we the people a why. More often than not, it is never truthfully the why. The why is that our government is intent on restricting our liberty. The more freedoms we have, 
the less control they can exert. When did this begin? What happened? What is the starting point in our history when our government became the domestic enemy of we the people? Now, in light of the mass shooting event that just occurred in Colorado on Monday evening last week, you can be sure that the gun control crowd in Washington, D.C. and in various other state legislatures and in the media are going to ramp up their actions. I've already seen the headlines. I watched the congressman that represented the district that Boulder's in talk about common sense gun control. Has common sense gun control measures worked in, hey, let's say Chicago? I don't think so. The Colorado shooting is another example of how media and government use different narratives to tell a story, not the story. They do this to accomplish what people unfamiliar with our God-given rights that are protected by our Constitution are. Our founding fathers, in their wisdom, understood that our Creator provided us with inalienable rights. And the Constitution that formed our government was created to protect those rights. And our great republic is unique in this purpose. One of the ways they accomplished this was by amending the Constitution right at the outset to specifically state the rights that government was created to protect. The first ten amendments to the Constitution are referred to as the Bill of Rights. And then there's the Second Amendment. And the Second Amendment was put in to acknowledge the first law of nature, and that is self-defense. Every human being has the right for self-defense. In fact, our right to self-defense pre-exists any man-made laws. George Tucker, a famous lawyer in our country's early history, he's also credited with writing in the, the American edition of Blackstone's Commentaries on the Law, had this great understanding and view of our Constitution. He said, and I quote, The right of self-defense is the first law of nature. In most governments, it has been the study of rules to confine the right within the narrowest limits possible. In other words, governments want to restrict how much we can defend ourselves because it places us out of their control. He went on to say, and I quote, Whenever the right of the people to keep and bear arms is prohibited under any color of law or any pretext whatsoever, liberty, if not already annihilated, is on the brink of destruction. Funny, that brink of destruction. I think that's where we're at right now. So what does our Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment to the Constitution, state about this? It states, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Pretty straightforward in my mind. Shall not be infringed. Meaning you can't hamper it or put roadblocks in the way for people to keep and bear arms. Yeah, that's what all this legislation is doing. There are going to be those people that tell you that it was written in the 1700s and the people then had no idea about the type of weapons there would be today. Or that it only applies to the militias, meaning law enforcement and the military. Well, I agree that when they wrote the Bill of Rights, they had no idea what the future would be. But they did, however, know about the evolution of not only firearms, 
but all weapons that have been used for self-defense. The firearms in use in their day were the most advanced weapons mankind had ever seen at that point in time. There were already many kinds in existence during the writing of the Constitution. There were many kinds in existence during the writing of the Constitution, yet they did not specify any type of arms, just at all arms. Also, when the Constitution was written, every able-bodied man was part of the militia. Everyone was the militia. The First Amendment was written before the advent of television, radio, and internet. So if you want to argue that only speech written on a wooden common press from the 1780s and distributed by foot and horseback is protected, go right ahead. The argument about types and advancement of tools cannot be applied to just one of the amendments and not the others. All that the gun control crowd is concerned with is depriving us of our right to self-defense, our right to ensure our liberty. What happened to our country? Our Constitution was written to limit the government, not the people. Now back to the media and their narratives of telling a story and not the story ties right back into victimhood status. The Atlanta shootings must have been racially motivated because it was a Caucasian shooter and most of the victims, remember most but not all, belonged to a different ethnic group. Is the Colorado shooting portrayed in this light? Absolutely not. Ask yourselves why. I believe all the listeners here are smart people. Look at the race or ethnicity of the shooter in Colorado. His name and background was known early on Tuesday morning after law enforcement had taken him into custody on the day previous. But how was it being reported on most news stations and on the internet by noon on Tuesday? Now here's a quote that I remember distinctly hearing from one of the pundits on a major news network. He or she said, All we know right now about the shooter is that he spent most of his life in this country. End quote. I almost snapped my neck when I turned my head so fast to see which news anchor was saying that. I even pointed it out to my wife and mother-in-law because they were in the same room with me. I called it out instantly. It was more bull fertilizer. I said they are hiding something. They are trying to buy time to figure out how to spin this situation that runs contrary to most of their talking points about mass shootings in this country, especially the one that happened in Atlanta. If you know... Or if the media knows that he was not from this country but spent most of his life here, they definitely knew more about him. But the shooter does not fit the narrative of racially motivated killings only because he's not a Caucasian man. It's sickening. And also in Colorado, which is going to spurn on this new headlong rush into gun control measures, did you know that in Colorado... They already have universal background checks. They have a red flag gun control law. They already have large capacity magazine bans. They already have domestic violence gun laws. They have an extended background check period. They have a state database background checks. And they have gun-free zones. They have all that, yet this shooting, mass shooting occurred. So like I said, it's sickening. The lengths our national media and the new aristocracy will go to to push such an anti-American, 
anti-liberty agenda. They want to restrict our freedoms. They also want to keep the little groups that they, the politicians, the aristocracy and media, have put us into and divided us, keeping us hating each other. And they do this all to stay in power. You know, if you listened to last week's episode, I'd like to add all the major news network and print media and social media executives to the treatment I called for that our politicians should receive. That little Game of Thrones, Cersei Lannister treatment. Shame. The new aristocracy and their enabling partners in the media have done more to destroy our liberties than any invading army could ever hope to achieve. And they did it without starting a war or incurring massive casualties. How did they do this? Because they all, the new aristocracy and media, planted and cultivated the seeds of apathy that we see in our electorate today. Well, that is all we have time for today, and I'd like to thank you once again for joining me. It's my sincere hope that you all enjoyed this episode today, and that you enjoyed it enough that you could share it with your family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors. If enough people are exposed to the truth, the truth of our founding in liberty, the truth in what our politicians, the new aristocracy, and their enabling partners in the media are doing to destroy our liberties, maybe we can restore our great republic shake off this apathy, and take our places as the citizen sovereigns we were meant to be. I would also like to leave you with this for the rest of the week. And again, it comes from God's word. From Galatians 5.13 For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. The new aristocracy tries hard every day to equate our freedoms to our world's many sins and therefore must use government control to replace our self-control because they know what is good for us, right? Instead of trusting the government, we should serve one another in love. Reveille, it's time to wake up.